Ask and it will be given you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. This is God's promise as we seek to do God's will. There are no great churches without prayer. There are no great Christians without prayer. My name is Hal Brady, and I'm going to preach tonight on the subject of prayer. As always, it is my prayer that this message and the music will be a blessing. Again, I want to thank those who assist me with music. They bless my life each week, as I trust they bless yours. Would you hear now, please, the reading of God's Word? It comes from Luke's Gospel, chapter 18. Would you hear the Word? Then Jesus told them a parable about their need to pray always and not to lose heart. He said in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor had respect for people. In that city there was a widow who kept coming to him and saying, Grant me justice against my opponent. 
For a while he refused, but later he said to himself, Though I have no fear of God and no respect for anyone, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will grant her justice, so that she may not wear me out by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God grant justice to his chosen ones who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long in helping them? I tell you, he will quickly grant justice to them. And yet when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. O God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, which are our strength and our redeemer. Amen. An email came and it had this title, Things I Really Don't Understand. There were a number of things written, and in these things, the question was, there were no clear-cut answers. These were the questions. Listen, why do doctors and lawyers call what they do practice? Why is abbreviation such a long word? Why is boxing the ring square? What was the best thing before sliced bread? How did they get the deer to cross the highway at those yellow signs? Now these questions are just humorous reminders that there are indeed a lot of things in life we don't understand. Prayer is one of those things, and yet we're told to pray and keep on praying. That's what the writer of Scripture is telling us today. Listen again. And Jesus told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not to lose heart. You know the story. There was a corrupt judge that bragged about the fact that he neither feared God nor man. There was a little widow that pestered him day and night over some injustice that she thought had been done to her. Now in those days and times, women had no rights whatsoever. But she kept after him. The only thing she could do was pester him. And so pester him she did. She pestered him day and night until finally the judge responded to her request. God is a caring God that we can count on. Let me say that again. God is a caring God that we can count on. A parable is something that is laid alongside something else. When we lay something side by side to teach a lesson, we have to understand that the lesson can come from things being like each other or in contrast to each other. This parable of the unjust judge is a parable of contrast. Now, Jesus is not saying that God is like that unjust judge. As a matter of fact, he's not likening God to the unjust judge. He's saying that God is totally different from the unjust judge. This is a parable of contrast. Jesus is saying that if our appeals are heard finally by an unwilling, immoral, secular judge, how much more will our appeals be heard by a God who loves us? If our appeals are finally heard by an unjust judge who cares not for God or other people, how much more will our appeals be heard by God who loves us and cares for us as if we were his only child? How much more God? James Moore gives us a fascinating illustration. He said, suppose a woman comes to him and admits a horrible sin she's committed. She's very repentant. She talks about it. She's heartbroken. She, as I said, very repentant. But after she finishes telling him about it, she says, how can God possibly love me after I've done this? And James Moore said to her, he said, well, you've told me all about it, and I'm for you. 
He said, I don't criticize you or judge you or condemn you. I just want something to happen to you that will give you new life. And then he said, if I, a human being, weak with all of my sin and my problems, if I am capable of love in that way, how much more is a forgiving God, a God who is the Lord of life and Lord of love? How much more God? There was Eddie Cantor. He was brought up in the slums of New York City's east side. He tells how one summer as a youngster, he was scooped off those hot and dusty streets and taken to a summer camp along the cool and refreshing Hudson River. He said one night he got to wondering how he happened to be there. But he said he realized he had three good meals every day. So how did he happen to be there? He said another kid in the tent had the answer. He said because somebody's interested in kids like us. If that's somebody who's interested in kids like us is a human being, how much more God? Eddie kind of said he went to sleep that night saying thank you. And he said that was the closest I ever got to religion in those days. But if that kind of human being can do that and be interested, how much more God? The great preacher, the late J. Wallace Hamilton, he said that there are three essentials if prayer is to be possible in this world. He said, first of all, there must be a responsive person, second, a responsive universe, and thirdly, a responsive God. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask Him? Our God is a responsive God, more than we know, more than we ask, more than we think. He is a responsive God. How much more? I wish I had the words to help encourage you to pray. I wish I had the words to help you and encourage you to pray again. I've been through many of the objections of prayer in my own personal life, and so I wish I had the insight to tell you to keep on praying. Some people say, we don't pray because God is not real to us. But what if it were the other way around? What if God is not real to them because they don't pray? Some people say, that we don't pray because we don't want to tell God what to do. Prayer is not telling, what, telling God what to do. Prayer is listening to what God tells us that he wants to accomplish in the world and our part in that accomplishment. Prayer is simply creating a channel for God to speak to us to enable us to accomplish his will and his purposes. And then we're told quite often that God is uncaring, God is absent, and all of these things. But what if it were true the other way around? God is waiting for us to come alive. Once we come alive, we are able to bring our prayers because, first of all, we are able to hear him offer his prayers to us. We have to listen to God before God is going to listen to us. Bill Hobbles, who was a preacher in a church near Chicago, Willow Creek, he said he had a father that was so generous and so gracious in every way. He said his father would give him anything he could, especially when they would become responsible. He said one of his father's favorite things was a 45-foot sailboat. And he said when he got into junior high school, his father would say to him, why don't you get a friend, hitchhike to South Haven, and take the boat out. And then he said later when his father bought a brand new car, the first thing he did was he brought sets of keys home, and he gave me one set and one set to my brother, and he said, take it out for a spin. If you want to go out on a date, go ahead. And then he said, most fathers want to be generous with their children. 
I had a father like that. One time I had a cat when he died, my father replaced that with a horse. But if my father and all our fathers are generous and like that, how much more God? How much more God? You know, we talk a lot these days about unanswered prayer. When the real mystery is not unanswered prayer, it's unoffered prayer. For instance, here we have this judge, secular, immoral, unwilling, and yet he says he doesn't love God and humankind, and yet finally he answers the appeal. So how much more our Heavenly Father will answer our appeals because he loves us supremely? Oh, yes, God is a God who cares, and a God is God who is with us at all times. And then secondly, though persistence is not the main point here, there's something good about being persistent. Simply to hang on doesn't seem to be too important to many people in our culture. For instance, endurance is not a high value with many people. Our parents don't pray that their children will be more persistent. Parents pray that their children will be more popular or that their children will be more intellect or that their children will be more personality prone. Very few of them pray that their children will be more persistent. Many people feel like that persistence is out of date. Isn't there a better way to do what we want to do than simply to hang on out there, especially when we are tired and we are discouraged? Simply to hang on doesn't seem to be the best way to go. But hear me now. Simply to keep on keeping on is more important than we know. How many accomplishments or achievements occur because people have bulldog tenacity or persistence in keeping at what they're doing? For instance, Admiral Byrd tried to reach the North Pole seven times. He finally reached it on his eighth try. Oscar Haberstein produced five flops that lasted less than six weeks total. But finally, he came out with Oklahoma. That lasted 269 weeks and grossed $7 million. It was because of his persistence. And then we have Eddie Arcaro, the great jockey. He lost 25 straight races before he finally won a race. Now listen to this. Albert Einstein, Edgar Allan Poe, John Shelley were all expelled from school because they were slow in learning. Can you believe it? Because they were slow in learning. And then there's Christopher Columbus. Before Christopher Columbus set out sail for the New World, he had to prepare a plan. He had to present it to a committee, a committee that was chaired by a geographer and a great professor from Spain. And so this Spaniard had to get the findings of the committee and report them to the king and queen of Portugal before he could sail. But the report came back this way. Columbus' plan cannot be accomplished. Quite impossible. But we can thank God that Christopher Columbus was persistent. We can thank God in America that he was persistent. Now John Maxwell, this leadership guru, says that there are four ways to cultivate tenacity and perspective and persistence. Listen, purpose, find one. Second, excuses, eliminate them. Thirdly, incentive, develop some. Fourth, determination, cultivate it. In Alice in Wonderland, the king said to this rabbit, he said something like this. He said, begin at the beginning and keep on going till you get to the end and then stop. But what we're talking about today is persistence in prayer, being persistent in prayer. 
Now, here's the problem. So many of us don't spend enough time with God in relationship to even allow God to cultivate a relationship with us. Our prayers are so simple and so quick. We pray at night, half the time before we go into bed, but we're in a hurry to get to bed. We're sort of like this couple. They went to their marriage rehearsal, their wedding rehearsal, and the young man asked the minister, said, can we pray on our knees and silently? And the minister said, yes, that's allowable. You can do that. Pray silently on your knees. The young groom said, well, how long should we pray? The minister said, it's up to you. The young man said, oh, I know. We'll just get on our knees and count to 10, and count to 10. That's the way it is with so many people in their prayer. They just simply count to 10, and then they're done. However, real prayer is persistency in prayer. Real prayer is persistency. When I persist in prayer, God gets together with me, and I have certain benefits that come my way. Here they are. Number one, as I pour out my soul to God, I get things off my chest. I share them with someone who is much wiser and greater than I am and much able to handle my burdens and cares better than I. And when I go inch by inch, I finally begin to understand that God is nothing like the unjust judge. And then secondly, when I persistently pray, I begin to better understand what God wants to do in the world and my part in it. When we pray, we simply create a channel for God to get his message across to us. We're not trying to change God's will. We're trying to change ourselves. And as we pray, that happens. There was a priest that came every night when he finished his day job. He came every night to the church, and he simply sat in the pew, and he prayed. He prayed a few minutes, and he got up and left. One time, the priest who was on duty saw him, and he had been watching him, and he said, I just want to know what happens to you when you come in there. He said, well, I just look up at him, and he looks down to me. There's something about that that has to do with our persistency in prayer. And then, persistency in prayer does not mean that we twist God's arm trying to get him to act. It simply means we lift up our prayers and concerns to God on a regular basis. We do not insist, we persist. And the Bible is very confirming in our persistency in prayer. It says, as we continue to pray, we ought to pray what God's Word says God's will is. We know that God is interested in people's transformation. So consequently, we ought to pray for the salvation of their souls. We know that we ought to pray for our daily bread. We know we ought to pray for deliverance from evil. We know we ought to pray for other Christians in need. We know we ought to pray for the missionaries. There was a, a man, a minister, who said in his church they had a great baptism Sunday. They baptized a lot of people who professed their faith in Christ. He said after it was over, it was a great celebration. He happened to see this woman out in the lobby, and she was crying. And he couldn't understand how anybody could cry on a day like this. So he went over to her, and he said, Ma'am, are you all right? She said, No. She said, My mother was baptized today. He said, Well, isn't that a cause for rejoicing? She said, Well, I've been praying for her for 20 years, and I almost gave up. She said, After five years, I said, What's the use? God's not listening. After 10 years, I said, I'm wasting my time. After 15 years, I said, It's absurd. After 19 years, I said, I'm a fool. But I kept on praying with a faint faith. 
And then today, after 20 years of prayer, she was baptized. She gave her life to Christ and she was baptized. I will never doubt prayer again as long as I live. And then there's one other thing that happens to me in my persistent praying, and that is it brings about a thankful heart, or the thankful heart brings about the persistent prayer, either way you want to look at it. Now, if God is our Heavenly Father, and He knows us, which He does, how much more does God love us? If He's like that, we only need to bring our concern to God one time. One time. If God is like that, how much more? So full of love. If He is our Father, we simply bring it one time. But our repeated prayer is not to remind Him, it's to thank Him. So we bring our concern to God one time, and then we thank Him millions of times. We thank Him for loving us, for forgiving us, for answering our prayers, for working with us, for our own good and cultivating His godliness in us. So persistency is not the main point of this sermon, but it's something we ought to take note of as it's so, so valuable. And then there's something else here. From God's point of view, faithfulness is vital. Do you know there's a sense in which this parable does not bring itself and surround itself around answered prayer? The key is the faithfulness of the widow. Do you know the last question is a question of commitment and is directed to us? At the end of that parable, he says, and yet, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Will he find faith on earth with us? Will he find faith on us with us in prayer? Will he find us faithfully praying? If that's going to happen, there has to be at least these things involved. There has to be some simplicity on our part. We have to simplify our lives. There has to be silence. We have to get silent. There has to be solitude. We have to seek serenity. And there has to be surrender. There has to be some form of surrender. We give ourselves totally and completely to God. Now, what are the benefits? What are the benefits of my praying persistently to God? These are the benefits. We'll have a deeper sense of the divine companionship. It doesn't take us long to realize that God is interested in companionship. For instance, what do children want to do? They want to play with their friends. Adolescents want to socialize. Adults try to make commitments to their spouses and their children. But before long, we realize that human companionship does not go far enough. Our human family cannot be with us all the time. They cannot understand us all the time. So consequently, we need a divine companionship. We need to understand that God is faithful. And then we will have a supernatural confidence. The writer of Proverbs says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not rely on your own insight. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will direct your paths. What gives us supernatural confidence is God's companionship and God's purpose. And then if we pray persistently and consistently and continually, we will also develop a deeper compassion for our human beings, other human beings. The more we pray to Christ, the more we'll want to act like Christ. The more we pray for other people, the more we'll want to help other people. And then if I consistently pray, it will make me want to prioritize God. Back at the turn of the century, there was a coalition of adults that got together to try to change what was going on in the city of New York with this political corrupt mob. 
they wanted to change the government. For a little while, they did. But then things went back to normal, and the corrupt crowd gained control again. Somebody explained it this way. They said the good people got tired of being good before the bad people got tired of being bad. All of us can learn something from this faithful widow. Let us pray. Oh God, our Heavenly Father, how thankful we are for this night and the opportunity of bringing this message. We pray, oh God, that something said, something sung, something prayed, and read somebody for you. Thank you for these who are watching. Bless them, make them a blessing, meet them at the point of their need. We'll be sure to give you the praise and the glory. It's in your name. Amen. Thank you and have a good evening. <laughs>